All right, everybody, welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast, where we bring you insights and conversations with top experts in leadership business, entrepreneurship, and personal development. Whether you're a new or seasoned leader, we're here to help you achieve your goals and reach your full potential. Now, before we get started, I want to bring you to uh, one of our latest resources. If you're a uh, retiring from the military and stepping into the corporate world, we have a resource that helps you prepare to start your new corporate career and make the transition smoother. Our specially designed checklist for military veterans is available for download on our website, renownedleadership.com. So make sure you take advantage of this tool to ensure your sex successful transition into your new role. In addition, we're also really excited to announce our partnership with the Career Winners Circle or CWC. They have a roster of top-notch executive coaches and an amazing pool of resources for their clients. To learn more about CWC and how they can help you on your leadership journey, visit their website, careerwinnercircle.com. And if you're ready to take your uh, leadership to the next level, take the next step in your journey, schedule a complimentary coaching consultation with us or me uh, at renownedleadership.com. We're here to help you achieve your goals and take your leadership to the next level. So welcome back everybody to the journey of the workplace hero from average employee to outstanding performer. This is a 10 episode podcast series that is specifically designed to just help you take your career to the next level and become a hero of your workplace. If you're ready to break away from the crowd and become a standout performer in your workplace, this series is 100% for you. With topics ranging from leadership and communication to time management, and far beyond that, our expert, our expert guests will share their insights and expertise to guide you on your journey to becoming a workplace hero. So get ready to unleash your full potential and transform into the workplace hero your workplace needs. Okay, with all that being said, it is absolute honor and my pleasure to welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast, Nanette and Virginia from the Lively Office. Uh, this is their second appearance on the podcast, and if you haven't heard, I think it was the third podcast we did, uh, where we did with Nanette and Virginia, you definitely need to hop back and go listen to that podcast as well. But today, Nanette and Virginia are back with us, and they are going to be uncovering the ever-evolving role of human resources or HR. They're going to be unpacking uh, the true roles of HR, how to uh, be a better professional if you're an HR professional, and uh, most importantly, in my opinion, uh, if you're not in HR, how you can effectively use HR uh, to to their strengths and you know get HR just to work for you and really help you out uh, in your leadership journey. Uh, HR, in my experience, is an invaluable resource, and uh, I mean, couldn't live without them. And so uh, they're bringing tons and tons of years of experience. I think uh, I think combined they have 
30 years plus of uh, HR experience leading HR departments. So they know what they're talking about. It's a great conversation. I'm really excited to bring it to you guys. And uh, as always, uh, links and everything for them will be in the show notes. So make sure you go check them out and give them plenty of love. So without further ado, everybody, here we go. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. And I got to be honest with everybody, I didn't get home until like 2.30 this morning from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I'm so blessed to have Nanette and Virginia here today because they have a massive amount of energy and I don't have to bring it as hard. So welcome Nanette and Virginia. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. So uh, most of you know, Nanette and Virginia have been on here on my show a few or just once actually. But um, I asked them back because they are the HR experts. And I, I wanted to, uh, as we're going through this series of becoming uh, the hero of your own workplace journey, um, I felt like it was important to really dig deep into uh, human resources or HR and really truly understand uh, what HR is and uh how it can how it affects you how it can help you and get really really get rid of that stigma that comes along with hr and virginia you actually surprised me because you're like i didn't even realize that other people hated hr (laughs) (laughs) why is that why were you oblivious oblivious to that well i guess my perspective was so personal so i just thought okay uh, i can feel being a member of HR that people hated us. <laughs> but, but and I and I understood why they hated us too cuz you know we're like this enforcer of company policies and there's this mixed um perception that HR is like supposed to be there like for the people. They are there for the people per se, but I think people look at HR almost kind of I guess for lack of a better word, like a non-paid union protection. And that's not what HR is. You know, HR is there to do a combination of protecting the employee and the company by balancing these policies. And then there's all these additional things that come on the plate of an HR person. So I thought from our perspective, you know, we've had ne- negative experiences, but our HR is in government. So, I mean, that's easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> But private industry hating HR was a surprise to me. And um, I uh, did some research and I was like, wow, Stephen's right. People hate HR. <laughs> so in your research, why did, what did you find uh, was, was the biggest cause of people hating HR? Was it pretty much what you said? Just the well, enforcer part? Be... Or... <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it was there's... Um, Again, it's the perception of what HR is there for. And then there's a lot of lack of empathy during like pivotal moments. Like when you're laying off employees or you're firing employees, HR takes this, it's like the method of informing them. HR, I think, excuse me for that, can work on that. Oh, that's cute. It sounds like a frog. (laughs) 
Well, and I also believe it's because HR doesn't have the relationship with the employees that the leaders and the managers do. But sometimes HR is given those tasks to fire the employees, hire the employees, do the promotions, do the engagement per se, do the um, celebrations of their of their successes as far as their milestones, like their years or their miles or whatever. And it's really a non-personal relationship. HR is more like a functioning body, I guess. Is, I don't know how to say it any other way. So, and I think what we learned and I, when me and Virginia discussed the outside you know, world other than the government is most people have the perception that it's for the people. And then when they find out after an experience that it's really for the company, I think that's where the negative comes from. But shouldn't it be a, a balance in the net? Like, cause I mean, HR, I don't think in my opinion, and again, I'm not an HR expert, but in my opinion, it should be a balance. HR should be for the people while maintaining that um that company focus if that does that make sense because i mean human resources i mean it's in your title you're you're the you're the people's resource to everything they need to get done so am i am i wrong in that mindset I'll answer that. No, I don't believe you're wrong in that mindset. I believe it's in the execution where the problem lies. And, and like I mentioned before, I think it's because, you know, I went into HR, I was, I was in management for a long time, but I literally went into HR to help people because I knew what it was like in the, in management role. And I wanted to be able to help those managers and those employees. But once I got there, I realized that there was so much policy and so much red tape that I found myself more dancing around all that and unable hit, hitting blockades on being able to help people the way I thought I was. Now I know Virginia was there a lot longer than I was. And, and so it was kind of a, and we were so focused on those processes. And it was so in depth that we, for me, we really didn't have the time or the, we just didn't have the time to give back to what the employees, what we wanted to, because we were so overwhelmed with, with all those policies. Now, Virginia, what was your take on that? Well, when I got invited to um, HR, as at first it was like a temporary detail, and I immediately knew I needed to be here from based on the phone calls and the 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 help that people needed and the help I needed. You know, I'm like I was also in management for most of my career. And I didn't get the support I needed from HR. So I thought I'm going to go in there and I'm going to make a change, right? <laughs> I'm going to do it different. And I spent my time actually becoming so expert at the policies that I found ways to go around them to support the, the field and the industry. And that's so different than say like private industry, like the way we do things in HR is, I think is, like what Nanette's saying about the execution, that was the struggle. You So we took a more personal approach because we understood the value of that relationship and building relationships. But I think a lot of organizations hire people from HR because they've had the um, experience or they went through training or a formal education in HR. And those things are wonderful, but what you have to know is how to influence people. How do you influence people when you're in a role of HR? Because that makes like a, a huge difference because you're taking, like if the 
newest situation, and I hope I'm not going off topic here, is there is recently in the last week, have you heard about uh, Andy Owen? She's the CEO of like Miller Knowles, that furniture company. They do their, Mm-mm. I think it's called, um, it's like really high end office furniture. They're like $2,000 for a chair. I think mm-hmm. it's called Herman Miller or something. I might be saying it wrong. So anyways, she, she has a leaked out Zoom video that employees leaked out. And I, I love the idea. I'm like, why didn't I think about leaking out videos? <laughs> <laughs> great idea so she is going into these people and talking to them about why they didn't get these bonuses okay they didn't get these bonuses and oh you know you need to stop focusing on that and then she starts going like on and on about these bonuses meanwhile you know they're a publicly traded company. Her salary information is public. You didn't give any of your employees salary, um, a bonus this past year when everything is so expensive and you got your highest bonus ever. You got $6 million bonus, you know? Wow. And then on a Zoom meeting, you go off on your people and tell them that their job is to focus on the $26 million that they need to be making. Like that kind of attitude, even though she's mm-hmm. the CEO, that's where HR is fed from. So like, this is her attitude. HR is fed with that. So if something comes to that HR plate, those HR employees are gonna push her agenda because she's a boss, right? Right. So they're not gonna be empathetic to the fact that you didn't get a bonus. They're going to be focused on the fact that you need to work harder and or or that kind of um situation and it's and that wasn't the only thing i went back and looked at all these other videos about sears firing their employees on a zoom meeting after just hiring them three weeks of full training and then they put them on a call being like hi you're fired but they knew it because all of a sudden they tried to log in to go to work and they lost all their access like what kind of who 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 does Mm -hmm. that You know, imagine you're just logging in and all of a sudden you're like, I can't log in. And then when you ask HR about it, they're like, well, it's just the process. It's not me. And that's like, I guess that's the problem. You're absolutely right. That is horrible. And, you know, I I, honest to God hope it's a joke. Um, But, you know, Elon Musk buying Twitter and then all these videos came out of Elon being on these Zoom calls and asking him questions. I can't wrong answer. You're fired. Um, goodbye. And I, I, I hope because it was done kind of in a joking way. So I hope that's a joke. I hope that wasn't real. And that's actually how he was firing people. Because I, like, I don't care how much money you're worth. I don't care how many companies you own. That's not how you treat people. And, and I, I had respect for Elon for all his accomplishments. But if that's how you're going to treat people, whether you agree with their political or agree with their policy, I don't care. Like when you're, when you're that level of a human being, you, you're a leader no matter what. And you need to always carry yourself with the air of, I can't act like a total D bag because everyone is looking at me. And if everyone sees me act this way, then I'm sending the message. It's okay for them to act this way. Because I'm sorry, the the 1950s uh, mom answer of it's okay for me, but it's not okay for you, little Johnny. That that's the wrong answer. That's bad leadership all the way around. 
And I, like I said, I sincerely hope that's a joke. I don't know. But um, I, I, did you, do you guys, are you familiar with those videos? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but I have a whole different perspective on that. I feel like that's a, I mean, because it's such a war zone in there going in, mm -hmm. I feel like it's very interesting to watch because I do know that his employees were literally <laughs> trying to take him down from the inside. So it's a whole nother, I mean, I don't believe that he stepped up to the challenge in that, in that, but I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole different ball game, I think. And then we can learn from that. I don't think it's your typical um, situation because it was such a, a hot button issue. A hot button, and literally the employees yeah. on the inside were trying to undermine him from the minute he stepped in the door. So I don't right. know that I would do it any better. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I I don't know that I don't know I don't know how I would treat in that situation, but it's got to be a hot, you know, be a a very um a very hard position to be put in. But you're right. It is interesting to watch what goes on down there because he's also one of the people that says that his employees should come back to work. And there's a lot of controversy behind that as well. So that his employees yeah. should come back to work. Mm -hmm. that his employees in... should... Yeah. No more remote. No okay, more remote okay. work. But he but he also if you looked at the one of the most recent um, things in the last couple weeks was that he he got rid of 80 percent of his workforce. But they're still being productive and they're being more productive now than they ever were. So <clears throat> I guess is what he's saying is we had 80% too many people that we were just spilling out money. Now my, now my shareholders are making more money. Now they're happier. So right. like, that's a whole, because it's publicly traded, that's a whole nother, a whole nother ball game. But, but it still comes back to HR because, you know, who's going to want to work for that company now being handled that way. I don't know. Right. It's interesting. Well, the question is, is how would he handle things and how would they handle things under a normal circumstance? Yeah, that's an abnormal circumstance. So it's almost unfair to form an opinion on because I did see some of those videos about um, Twitter and being fired and being removed. I saw one and I have to be honest, the one I particularly saw, I thought that employee was a whiner for lack of a better word. Like, you're a whiner. Here's your pacifier. And maybe that's my, <clears throat> you know, my Gen X showing. <laughs> I'm all like, seriously, man, like you have to understand. And maybe it's because I try to understand the perspective of a company. Company doesn't exist just to make you rich and pay off your bills. It's like a combination. You do for me, I do for you. It's like we have each other's back and you have to care about the organization's success so that you in turn also get the rewards of their success. That's the way companies need to be built in that situation where that's why I thought it was interesting about this Andy Owen, you know, it's like she got her highest bonus ever and she gives no bonus to her employees knowing the state of the economy knowing she could have done something different. She could have done mm -hmm. something different and she had a choice there to turn around and like say, okay, you know what? You guys didn't get a bonus. I'm going to fix this. And these are the things that I need in return. So that would have been a way to handle it rather than threatening from the, from the throne. And then, you know, HR backed her in that. Yeah. They just did. <clears throat> right. Well, and, and that's such a good point. I'm sorry, Nanette, go ahead. Well, I mean, I'm just saying too, there's also leaders that would, 
and I've been in those situations before, would give back to their employees that bonus in some way or shape or form. She didn't have to accept that bonus. She could have said, distribute it to my employees equally. And then she could have gone into that meeting and said, this is what I did instead. And what do you think that would have done for her employees? You know, what, what would you think that would have done to the morale of that, of that, of that office? I mean, it, it seems, I mean, so there's so many examples of leadership in so many ways to handle it, but to take a bonus and then go yell at your employees about how they need to do better. That's he, they're never going to have a great work, work culture. It's impossible. Yeah. She's a systematically just destroyed any ounce of good work culture that that company had in, within its organization. And you brought up something earlier, Virginia, that uh, I thought was really important is uh, the HR director works directly for the CEO or the president of the company, mm -hmm. right? There's no, typically in my experience, there's no in between when it comes to human resources, you have the, the CEO HR director. And so you said that the, the, the CEO feeds the HR director, which in turn is the one that dictates how HR operates. So how, how does, how do you go about uh, if you have such a toxic CEO and I'm the HR director of that company, how, how would I, one, identify that, like, whoa, I need to do something about this? And two, what in the world could I, as the HR director, possibly do to, to try to save the culture? <clears throat> well, I'll say this much. You cannot be in that seat and be a yes man. You have got to practice your ability to influence and have discussions that might create conflict. And you really have to understand that CEO and where they're, where they come from, because I had the opportunity. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here because I have an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had an opportunity of being an HR director and worked when they first initially set it up, I actually had me reporting to the attorney and then that changed. And I think some companies do it that way to the attorney and then go that route. And then I switched over to the CEO and you really have to have build a, an amazing relationship with that person. You have to be able to talk to this person and not be afraid to say, Hey, listen, we need damage control after that zoom video you know, in Andy Owens case, do you realize what you've done? And then you're going to have to be able to influence that person and have those candid conversations without pointing blame to redirect them. Because if you just take orders, you're destroying that company. And that's just mm. it. And that's actually what happens. That's why I think there is a negative stigma in HR because they just do what the master says. And I know that sounds terrible, but that's what happens. You know, I was put in situations where I was instructed to that they wanted these certain things to happen. And then what I end up doing is that I go to the underlings of the CEO, you know, the other people who work direct for them and express my concern for the potential fallout of this decision. So then I get people on my on my team and then we would group talk to him so that we could change a decision so we could say listen if you do this this is this and i had to get the buy-in of my peers so i think that's a method to do it but i think a lot of times in organizations 
people are, are looking out for themselves They're looking, they're selfish, you know, and they're, they're, they're putting it on other people. I mean, a lot of the videos that I saw yesterday, I saw William Sonoma firing seasonal workers the way they did it, which was so rough. And then Sears video and the way they fired them just over zoom and the, the lack of empathy. Like I could look at the zoom picture and literally be like, I don't know these people. I'm like that person's HR. I could just see it by their face because it's just that little, it's just that perfect little person, you know, doing this and having the fake, you know, and I'm like, what is that? What's, what's that body language? You know, you guys are, and then everyone de uh, deflecting responsibility, saying that it's not their choice, that they were told to do this. They were told to do that. When I was let go, um, well, toward the end of my organization, before I retired, I chose retirement, but I, we went under, we under, I'm stuttering now. You're going to have to really edit this out. <laughs> we, we did, um, a reduction in force and in this reduction in force, I was accepting the reduction in force. I had thought that my time had run out with this organization. I had outgrown it. I wanted to take the reduction in force. And I knew I was going to get a severance and I did all the due diligence for months and months and months to make sure that I was going to get a severance. And at the last minute, literally Friday was my last day, Wednesday afternoon, I get this letter that basically was telling me I'm you're, I'm forcing you into this job, not letting me go. And I was willing to go. I was like, okay, I'll leave. I'm going to force you into this job. And if you don't take this job, you are going to uh, lose your severance. So in my full belief, and still to this day, the only purpose of that letter was to take away the money that they owed me from the organization. And when I had this conversation with the HR manager, this HR manager who signed this letter is acting like they have no control, like they have no control, but the letter's in your name. And then I kept moving up the organization to the highest level. And they're all like, oh, well, she has control. And then this feeling that they really felt like I can't make a decision. I'm not really allowed to make a decision. So they're just figureheads. And I thought about that most of the day yesterday, that that's the shame. The fact that this individual was not willing to stand for me, even though I had laid out document after document after document supporting the decision to allow me to go like she could have said she could she didn't have to do the work she could have taken my work and been like hey this policy supports it this policy supports it this document supports it i made this decision and i'm doing it but nobody wanted to take the responsibility so that it ended up at like a, over a year of war between me and the organization and a lot of money spent on my side with an attorney you know, just simply because she felt she was powerless. And I think a lot of HR people feel like they're powerless. They just do what the master says. And I know I keep saying that, but that's what it is. And at least my perspective, that's the constant. That's what I saw from the Sears video. That's what I saw from the William Sonoma video. They were all like powerless where what they could have done was been like, Hey, listen, I know my name is on that letter, but you know, as well as I do that I will be fired if I allow this to go, or I will stand up and I will say something, just give me something. You know what I'm saying? Admit that I'm right. And that you're a liar, do something. 
at least that way I can say, okay, but to keep acting like you're powerless and when you're in a position of power, like an HR director, blows my mind. I'm like, how? How are you powerless? And that was where it needed to, it was time for me to go because I had become mm -hmm. this person who I was constantly fighting the man. <laughs> you know? And I was like becoming a martyr for other people who, you know, I, I mean, Annette, <laughs> throw me a bone here. <laughs> It's, it's very true. And it, what's interesting is I think Virginia, and if you're familiar, this is going to be like a total off, off, but I've been thinking about this as she's talking. If you're familiar with the disc model, it's very common to have eyes and eyes and S's, would you say mm -hmm. in, 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 in HR and then sometimes some C's you don't have many D's in HR because they're, I because they're people people and then you get the people that are like non-confrontational that get in HR because they want to make everybody happy you know and because they love people they want everybody to get along and they have the harmonious but there's not enough D's in HR there really yeah. isn't because D's yeah. have to be the people that stand up for other people and you know and and fight that fight and I think there's so many people in HR that because they love people and because they don't want the conflict they try to um to make everybody happy, but ultimately it comes down to making the boss happy because they don't want that conflict. And I think that's where um, I think we could upset a lot of people about HR because I don't believe HR has the teeth almost to be able to 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 fight for the employee like Virginia and 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 I did. I mean, like Virginia fought way harder than I did because I'm like I don't know if I want throw my you know throw my glove into this battle but she she was i'd have to tell her all the time to put the sword down virginia <laughs> put the sword down like some of the emails that she wrote i'm like just put it down put the sword down it's not worth it it's not worth what you're gonna have to put up with later to fight that battle for such a little tiny you know reward but i don't think there's enough people in hr and i think hr is so trained to please the the masters as she keeps saying that the employee gets left by the by the wayside and i think and i think upper management also takes a, throws the responsibility on them as like a as like a way to like be out of the it's not my fault hr did it it's hr policies they are like like hr do all the work for them and blame I'm it on them in a way i'm so glad you bring that up because in my experience and in my research um that is one of the things that i've i've learned uh is that hr is nothing more than a human scapegoat um a lot of times for leaders it's you know hey we got to work an extra 20 hours this week not me it's hr hr is saying you know hr has absolutely nothing to do with distribution but it's hr's fault somehow i've heard i've i've that is a actual experience of mine um I've heard, you know, hey, we got to lay 10 people off. You know, I'm so sorry. This sucks. It's HR. You know, what, what can you do? HR sucks. <laughs> and I feel, you know, and it isn't just like the mid to low level um, uh, leaders and executives. It's all the way to the top brass use HR as a scapegoat when they're the ones in control of HR. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that is the, in my opinion, and in, in the research I've done and the experiences I've had, that is the sole biggest reason that, that people hate HR so much is because as a, as an hourly employee, you're taught that HR is your enemy. You're taught that 
all the bad things that the company does or the stupid decisions that the company does or these, I mean, I'm sure you've done. Oh yeah, of course your government, you've had to do the million of stupid online tests. <laughs> like, and, and you're just like, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I, I just spent two hours clicking yes and next. And this was a total waste of my time. And we're taught that that's HR's fault. When HR typically they're just doing what they're told. They have absolutely nothing to do with those decisions. And especially if it comes to something, you know, distribution, like HR has nothing to do with that, but yet they still somehow get blamed for it. So uh, I think as leaders, we have to stop using them as a scapegoat and, and just holding down the fort for ourselves and being like, look, you know, I'm sorry, you know, times are tough and I got to lay 10 people off, you know, that, that's just the way it is. I'm, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, you don't need to blame someone else. Well, and that's one of the things we used to teach in our leadership class is, you know, when you make any decisions for, for your employees and you, and you give that information to them, you never, you take responsibility. Um, you take responsibility for that. Cause if you're not, you're, you're, you know, you're giving away your power. And you're giving away yeah, that respect. So I I think that you're right about that. I think HR is, you know, HR is the policy enforcers. They're, they're enforcers of the union contract. Um, they're the ones that make sure you follow through on the policies. They're the ones that follow you around and make sure you check off all those boxes. And I think, um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really, a really catch all for a lot of things. Virginia, I saw you had something to say there. I was just thinking, um, Although I'm not like the biggest fan of um, Mark Zuckerberg, when he did his layoffs, I was actually impressed with him because he went on there and he posted a video for his employees and he was like, listen, this was my responsibility. I'm the CEO. I'm the founder. I'm the one who's been running this for 10 years. This was a decision I had to make to keep this company successful. Like he could have so easily dropped that on HR and then they could have acted all crazy, you know, taking the brunt of the hostilities from the employees when they found out and he didn't do that. So I thought that was impressive. I was thinking that like when you said that about the responsibility, that's, you know, I think that's what people want. And I think people can understand that, you know, if you if if you handle it correctly, you can fire people and and you can do it in a way where it doesn't create a hostile environment. You can do that because you're going to use rational thinking in that in that sense and you're going to have empathy. You know, don't do it over a Zoom meeting. Don't cut off their access right away. You know, before you've spoken to them, give them time you know, explain it to them, do it one on one if you can, you know, so impersonal on a meeting where there's other people in the meeting, just like, well, I still have my job drinking their cup of coffee and they're doing other things, multitasking on a zoom while you're telling people they're fired. I mean, this is, you know, that's the most inhumane thing. Not only have you lost me as a, a an employee, you probably lost me as a customer too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it all goes back to the same thing that we talk about over and over. It's about relationship and relationship with your employees. There's two things. It's about relationship and what your business purpose is and whether you're communicating that or not. 
you know, and if you communicate what your business purpose is and, you know, and, and when, when Mark Zuckerberg sat down to talk to them, I'm sure he talked about what the vision of the company was and how the decision he made was, was based on the vision of the company. And if he'd been communicating that to his employees all along, they might not be happy with it, but at least they could understand his decision. So and I, I think there's a lot of managers and leaders out there that don't do that. They don't, it, it's, it's such a, they give their employees, they treat them almost like they're stupid, you know, and don't include them in those choices and teach, and treat them like, like tools instead of like people. I agree completely. And to me, anytime you work with me or listen to me talk for 10 seconds, you're going to hear me say the words personal accountability at least probably a hundred times because that is, that's my biggest thing is personal accountability. And that's one of the hardest lessons I had to learn. Um, and to this day, I still hate the army for that lesson. Um, cause it sucked, but, uh, it was a lesson I needed to learn and I'm glad I learned it. Um, but yeah, personal accountability. And I, I didn't know Zuckerberg did, did that, but I, I do have a greater respect for him knowing uh, that he did because that, that that is an incredible way to go about handling your business is just to start it up with like, Hey guys, I'm the one responsible. It's me. I made this decision. No one else made this decision. It was me. All blame comes to me. And, you know, when, when you approach a situation like that as the leader, you've almost completely disarmed uh, the people you're talking to because they don't expect something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, well, well, now what do I say? You know what I mean? So I greatly respect uh, Zuckerberg for that. That, that is very unique uh, this day and age. So what do we do then as a, uh, as HR representatives, how do, how do, what is the best way outside of, uh, having teeth as Virginia put it, what, what's the best way that we can me. start? Oh, I'm sorry. The having teeth, the way Nanette put it, <laughs> what, what's the best way we, we can, we can just diffuse this, this negative stigma for HR because HR truly is a superhero within the organization. Well, HR really is the professional group because a lot of people who are in HR did go through formal training, whether it was going through college to get HR or doing their, you know, certifications to Sherm. So their, their perspective, I think they try very hard to be, um, professional and they definitely hold a very like critical role in a company and they're protecting their employees and their rights and the well-being of employees so i believe that hr professionals there that they want it to be a positive work environment i think the struggle is the learn it's that learning how to balance it's yeah. learning how to balance the um the needs of the organization versus the rights of the employees because they have things that they can't just do things because a ceo wants them to do there's rules they have to follow the department mm -hmm. of labor they have to follow wages every state has a rule every county has a rule so it becomes very difficult you know and if you're a global company then you've got that situation you know there's some companies that have global employees and then on a specific day like i want to say in china 
that I had some Chinese employees where they, we had to give them the week off. Like it didn't matter whether it was a critical week or not. We had no choice. And I had to relay that information to HR, uh, to the other operations and stuff. I'm like, listen, guys, I understand that you need these employees this week. You need to understand that there is a law that governs these employees. They cannot work this week. It is against the law in their country. So being that person, you have to be that voice for the organization to protect it from itself too, because the expectation, I, I don't think I would expect the operations managers and the CEO to know those things. They expect you to know those things. So the plethora of information that you have to have in an HR, I don't want anyone listening to this podcast thinking that we're so anti-HR. To be wow. in an HR takes like a lot of strength. What we're saying is that to be in HR takes a lot of strength <laughs> in both directions. Like you, yeah. you have to protect the policies, but you need to take care of the people. And then you also need to take care of the company and so, you need to figure out how to do that. And that is basically by mastering your skill of communicating. And that's usually where the struggle is for all humans. Isn't that like a fundamental issue that instead yeah. of listening to hear and to solve, you're listening to reply. And I think that's where things get hairy, you know? So let me ask you that same question, Nanette, but let me ask it to you in a different way. Um, I just graduated from college and I'm heading to, excuse me, heading to my first HR job. Um, as the seasoned HR professional you are, you give me your top three pieces of advice for a successful career. What would that be? Oh, wow. This is more of a Virginia question. She's got more experience in HR. But if I was to be coming straight out of college and my job was to be in HR and knowing what I know after the five years that I was there, I would say um, that you would have to focus every day on balancing, um, balancing between employees, policy, and leadership. Because I believe that's where that's where the um that's where the struggle is is the balance and also i'd have to believe that you need to sharpen your skills in conflict management and not be scared of it if you're scared of conflict then you do whatever you can to 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 overcome that fear of conflict because you need to be able to influence people and you need to be able to be able to be told no and be able to be in a situation like Virginia talked about earlier, where you're telling the CEO of a company that this is not the best idea uh, and be able to communicate that without being fearful that you may lose your job because he's angry and be able to do, you know, and, and I don't believe that that's always the fear that if we tell somebody what they don't want to hear, that something bad's going to happen. So you have to, whatever you can do to overcome that fear of being able to tell people what they don't want to hear. So that would be and one more thing, because you said three. The other thing would be, I think you truly have to understand what the vision of the company is um, and make sure that the, the vision of the company is clear. And that's the company you want to work for, because I believe sometimes we get into companies that that don't have a clear vision of what their goal is. It's just about making money, making money, making money, and they don't have it laid out. And they're not great communicators. So when you get into that environment, it's not going to be a good environment to work in because they obviously don't have a good work culture. So I, I would guess that would be the things that I would say. And I, I know Virginia is going to add a lot more to that. Um, 
because she did have an HR job in the outside world other than government. So she's got a totally different perspective than I do. <laughs> she's just sitting there smiling. Go ahead. I am. <laughs> I'm thinking I might, my, you had said something and I was like, oh, that that's a whole new topic right there. And then I had ADD and I should have wrote it down. <laughs> um, uh, what was, say your last point again, Nanette, something well, you I had said conflict management, not being fearful of being in conflict. And the first one was, I can't, oh, even no, remember. that was, that was it. It was, that was the, it. Cause uh, I saw your the, face, <laughs> the vision. Yes. It was the, the vision. vision of the company. I think people get attached themselves to policies to avoid to avoid the responsibility the self-responsibility like you were talking about Stephen. so i think in hr one of the things i would tell them was yes we have these policies but don't forget the vision that's what it was and then that's where the conflict is going to be created because i think people tend to draw to policies and run to them and try to enforce them and then sometimes they don't realize it's to the detriment of the company. It's to the detriment. You can't enforce a policy to the detriment and opposing the goal of the organization. So if everyone in your organization was focused on the mission, what's the mission, then they and were given the autonomy to sort of like decipher the policies so that they can still be toward the goal. That's what you have to educate your people on. HR needs to be the master of it. And then everybody else needs to be trained on that. And just a small example, and the, the cause it just happened recently is I went to Hobby Lobby recently and I had a very weird experience. I love Hobby Lobby. Like I'm all about Hobby Lobby, but these employees in the front, these cashiers in the front were so focused on this idea of a policy that they were so aggressive toward me toward my husband and to another customer who had an issue rather than understanding that the goal of hobby lobby is to sell these products right because none of these things are needs this this is not eggs this is not food this is extra money do you know what i'm saying in an economy mm -hmm. where people are holding tight to their money you're lucky people are walking in that door hobby lobby and that's because they're walking in that door you have a paycheck ma'am so when a person came in with an online order complaint the employee immediately deflected immediately was like oh that's that's um that's corporate that's da -da -da -da. like wasn't even going to help this person you know and i thought man i don't work for hobby lobby but let me i want to pull you aside let me talk let me discuss with you what you're doing wrong here employee and the manager was right there and didn't fix it so right there hobby lobby has something broken because they don't know the goal the goal isn't to enforce policies to annoy your customers the goal is to make them happy so they spend their money buying your needless crafts so that's what the goal is right i mean that's my assumption i don't know what their mission statement is but that's how it feels like for me so how she could have turned that around how she could have been like oh ma'am let me let me see what what did you order just pay attention to me just let me see your online order okay let me look at this well you know what we locally don't have the access to these online orders but let me see what i can do to help you let me see give me the attention allow me to complain you are representing the company i don't care if it's corporate or if it's the local store allow me to complain allow me to fix my problem 
and that lady wouldn't have walked out so angry because she just wanted to be heard. She just wanted to be heard just right. the same way they want to be heard from their internal customers. So I think that's the problem is that they get people attach themselves to policies and enforcing policies rather than recognizing that the main scope is the mission. What's the mission? And I think that there needs an entire revamping of the way we train employees, the way we teach employees. I think that we need to do things the way Chick-fil-A does it. Chick-fil-A is on it, man. Yeah. I mean, are. I have the smallest little complaint about Chick-fil-A and they give me all these extra Chick-fil-A points. And then for no reason at all, like a corporate person didn't know a local person did it. And then the corporate gives me some extra Chick-fil-A points. I mean, I got free chicken for a year. <laughs> 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 that, that's such a good point, Virginia. And that actually goes back to what I was talking about with uh, the military teaching me personal accountability in that, um, you know, just an example, I'm in the army, I have a soldier, you know, I'm a, I'm a mid-level uh, leader, I have a soldier that gets a DUI. As, a, as that soldier's leader, I am held responsible for that soldier's actions. Am I responsible for that soldier getting a DUI? Absolutely not. Does the army expect me to be, uh, you know, watching that soldier 24 seven to prevent him from getting a DUI? Absolutely not. And so my biggest complaint with the army was how is this my fault? Why am I in trouble when I can't control this situation? And that's almost exactly what you were just talking about, Virginia, with that, that, uh, hourly employee for Hobby Lobby is their viewpoint was the exact same as mine. There's nothing I can do about this. So why am I being held accountable? When the, what the army ultimately taught me was it's not about what is actually you, you're a representative of this. Therefore, everything goes up to the highest point it can rather than roll down like everyone thinks it should go up so you are the you are the point for this customer and the company therefore it is your responsibility yes i understand you have nothing to do with online orders you probably know nothing about online orders you probably don't even know how to help her fix the online order issue but that doesn't matter because you are still the responsible party and so I think once I think that's really something that we've just all lost is the ability of, of the understanding of that is what personal accountable accountability is. It's yes, I'm not directly responsible. There's absolutely nothing I could have done to prevent this. But as, but as the representative, I have to take the blame. I have to take the responsibility and I have to do my my best to fix this situation. I think you muted Virginia. It's just that I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's a, it's a lost art, you know, it's a, it's a lost art. And, um, I learned that really when I was young and I have to kind of give credit to the couple of companies, they may not still be doing this, but when I was young, I younger, <laughs> younger, I, um, kind of got that training, that idea of like, you just don't say no to the customer. Well, I worked for Disney and also working for Carnival Cruise Lines. They kind of 
put that and kind of instilled that customer service concept in, into you in a, in a way of taking personal responsibility, but also being a middle kid. You, I take surf, you know, that's how, that's how I got my attention. Right. You know, I was like, I got, I'm going to be the good one. I'm going to be the one who does it like, oh, these are the rules. I'm going to follow the rules and go at a higher level standard. You know? <laughs> it's a, it was, a, um, you know, a lot to do with the individual, but I do believe those are things that can be taught. You know, you just have to refocus your ideas. You don't, you know, don't feel like the victim in the situation right. and also taking customer complaints. If you can start managing customer complaints, I think everybody has to do a turn on the complaint call line because if they learn how to do that, if you learn, and that's a skill because mm -hmm. it tests your patience, it tests you to the core. If you learn how to do that, you, you can handle anything. Really, you can. And I have to give that credit as well because working with the public, oh my God, that yeah. takes a skill. It does. Because they don't care about your policies. They don't care about the rules. They want what they want. And you really have to learn how to educate them and help them all at the same time. Absolutely. So we're running out of time and I want to really, I want to get this last question in, and either one of you can answer it. Both of you can answer it. I don't care. Um, as an employee, how should I be trying to, to work with HR to get the most out of HR for myself as a, as an hourly employee, as a leader, especially as a leader, let's, let's make it a leader as a leader. How should I be working with HR to maximize my effect of effectiveness with my team within the company to get the most influence that I can out of what I'm trying to do? Uh, does that, that question make sense? Yeah, and I'll answer that first if Virginia can go uh, further. So for me, being a leader in my company and then going to HR, um, I learned very quickly before I was even there that, you know, HR is a support for you. They support you with payroll deductions and policy and labor contracts. And it's amazing to me how many leaders in our organization treated HR like absolute, for lack of a better word, crap. <laughs> like they, they treated them like lowly menial um, um, slaves, basically, that were to do their work. And I think as a leader in your organization, the best thing you can do is treat them as your biggest resource and make them feel valued. Because as an HR person, I wanted to help those leaders that had a respect for me. And I didn't want to help the ones that treated me like crap. I mean, that's just human nature, right? Um, but I wanted to, because they had no respect for what you went for. They blamed everything on you. So as a leader, I would say, create that relationship with your HR professionals and value that value what they do. And that's just my one piece of advice for leaders. What about you, Virginia? I'm so glad you brought up that point because I didn't even think about that piece. And that is a huge problem because HR has such a big role in the organization and they probably are the most disrespected and they should have a seat at the table when it comes to the other directs and the other departments and companies. I am not sure why that exists, but that is, I think that's a fundamental problem. You know, well, that's let me action. jump in real quick. 
you're you're, because this is something i didn't realize until recently and so i'm going to assume our listeners don't realize it either and i think this is what you're talking about is that uh you know distribution is going to have a president and vice president of distribution uh you know uh your your stores are going to have vps and presidents of the stores if you have if you have stores like your online presence, whatever that's called within your company, that's going to have a VP and a president of that. Um, you're, you're going to have a president of operations, a president of this, a president of that. But always, on almost in every single organization I've ever worked with, the HR highest rank is director. That is not even an equal title. They get director of HR. They don't get president of HR, and they're not invited to the C-suite table. That's what you're talking about, correct? That is what I'm talking about. And the funny part is, is that that person in the HR director role, and and I guess it depends a lot of the hierarchy of organizations. Um, in the last organization that I was in, everybody was a director, and I was a director. You know, there was a director of finance, a director of this, a director of us. So we had the same title. So it wasn't that, but you bring a good point. That also is another punch in the gut because you have to know about all of those departments. I need to understand as HR, your operations piece, your finance piece, your online, your retail, your customer service, your distribution. I need to have a full understanding of all of those departments. They only have to know their own and then I'm not having a seat at the table because they don't understand and recognize the value of HR. And I think that's a fundamental problem as well. So and that comes again from the CEO, not fully understanding. They think that you're just a paper pusher or that you're just, and then people accept the role, which it turns around and creates a problem again, you know, because, okay, that's how you're gonna treat me and that's what you're doing for me, then that's what I'll do. So then the company ends up being broken when the one glue that holds it all together is the HR, you know, there they you can I don't think companies use HR the way they should. I don't think they hire for HR the way they should. I don't think if you're in HR and you never managed a group of people, you shouldn't be in HR. They should force you to go out into the organization and run a team, run the distribution, run a customer service, run a retail shop before you get to come up here. Because if you don't know how to lead people, how are you advising leaders how to lead people? And I think that's mm. a, just a whole nother, the whole other podcast. <laughs> I mean, I not, you know, not trying to toot my own horn, but in our human resources department that we were in, I'm going to tell you for a fact, some people who had key roles could never run an operation. Like I, I want to see it because I would laugh because I could run an operation from my bed faster and easier than they could if they went in every single day. And it's yeah. just amazing that they were in these key roles of HR. And, you know, we have this expectation for them to be professional and to be honest. And sometimes they're the, the worst ones. They treat people like dogs. You know, you have HR professionals that they are nastier to their employees in the HR department than what's happening out in operations. So, and I, and I see that personally, you know, I was like, and that surprised me. And what H, uh, when Nanette and I brought to the table is that we came from that. We always led people and now we're in here and we're feeling kind of paper pushing people 
which was a hard adjustment. But then at the time where it was critical, we were able to use our ability to talk and to communicate and to end conflict and to hold HR to a higher standard. And then we started getting a seat at the table. I mean, toward the end, we had a seat at the table and, but we had to fight for that seat. And I honestly, and I directly believe that we had a leader as well, our manager who also came from an operations. And when he came into the department, he changed it. Like he changed it. And then that's when we were at our absolute most amazing because he didn't come up through college first day HR, not knowing how to even say no to an employee. So right. yeah, that's such a good point. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, well, and that's, that's one of the things that me and Virginia upset people in HR sometimes because you don't realize how the HR separates ourselves so much from operations and managing people and all that, that you really don't have a good grip. I mean, HR is who's in charge of training our employees and they've never even done the job. So, I mean, and, and, and you, when you let HR be in charge in our situation, HR was the one that was training managers and supervisors and they had never been a manager or supervisor. And that was one of the things that me and Virginia had a big heart for was training supervisors. And we got that opportunity and it, it I mean it fundamentally changed parts of the organization in our area because you didn't have somebody just reading out of a book that had never experienced it. So I think that's a whole we could do a whole other podcast on training and HR and HR and and what their experience should be. But and I think that's one of the reasons that they don't get as much respect. I mean, it's a bad thing, but because I because leaders don't feel like HR understands where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. So like Virginia said, just having an HR man, an HR professional go out and run a team where they can understand where the other side is coming from would make a big difference in any, in any company or any organization. I agree 100%. And you know me, I like to relate everything to the military. But when you look at all the military special operations groups, whether it's the SEALs, special forces, um, uh, the Marine Raiders, uh, the army rangers whatever whatever you're looking at any any of those groups or teams every single soldier in those in that team is trained for the person next to them's job so everybody has some level of knowledge on how to work the communication equipment they, they're not experts by any stretch of the imagination and they're probably just knowledgeable enough to be dangerous but they still have some sort of clue, some sort of understanding what is going in to the work that this team member is doing. What that does is one, if something happens to that team member, then they're able to pick up the slack. And two, they have a better understanding of when that team member needs help doing his job, they are able to assist him because they're knowledgeable not expert but knowledgeable in what's going on and i think that is one of the key components that makes these these high operation teams uh successful is that everyone knows everyone else's job to an extent and i think you're absolutely right if you know every single leader in an organization had to go work in hr for six months and learn what goes into running the HR department of a company, especially a large corporation, then they're going to go back to their teams with a, a better equipped skill set 
and they're going to be able to assist HR when it comes to doing HRE things within their teams and vice versa. HR is going to have a good repu or good relationship with this team leader, and they're going to be able to communicate back and forth. And then ultimately, this is going to create a culture within your team that is fire because this team is going to feel well taken care of. Because when you have a good HR and a good leader, you, there, there's, there's nothing better in the world to work for, uh, in my opinion, than that. So what do you, what do you guys think about that? My well, army analogy. I love the army analogy because that is so true. I mean, I, I'll never forget. I used to complain to Virginia all the time about some of the um, some of the leaders in our organization because I felt like I was I came from a management and leadership and I was in HR and now I was being treated like an over what I what I what I used to always say an over knowledgeable secretary. Yeah, because that's literally what they treated HR like. Like we were secretaries that they would just bark orders at us on what they needed done. And, and we were just supposed to just jump through hoops and make it happen for them. And it was just a, it, it was really a struggle for me. <laughs> Virginia heard me complain about that all the time. Like, I'm not, I'm like, we have the same goal in mind. I want to get you, you're the employees. I want to get you what you need, but you can't just bark orders at me and not do your mm -hmm. part because they would want me to do their part. Like mm -hmm. I, I, like I was a, yeah. So, I mean, so it, and then having an understanding of what our job was would have helped a great deal. I don't, I mean, it would have, it would have. And then I'll, I'll just another thing I want to, I know in government, there might not be a lot of leeway with policies, but in private industry, if policies are interfering with the mission, you need to readjust your policies. That's just mm -hmm. it. Because I do believe that there has to be a method of changing them where they don't impede the goal of the organization as much as they do in government because like you know that's a whole nother topic as well the institutions you know these institutions of government you know they have policies that literally shoot themselves in the foot you know they literally harm yourself you're like you're harming yourself with this ignorant policy and a lot of times I recognize that it's because somebody on the higher level who just got hired in and has worked for an organization for a year or two year are making policies, not having a full understanding of these large, like other pieces of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe that's hard to do in governmental situations, but in private industry, come on, don't let a policy that's not a law interfere with the goal of, of your company because you know, what, what does that serve? Who is that serving? Right. Right. Well, Virginia and the net, we're going to wrap this up because we're, we're out of time. Um, again, I thank you guys so much for being here. I always love talking to you too. You bring so much fire and energy. I absolutely love it. And it's always so much fun, but you know, the rules before we leave each guest on the renowned leadership podcast has to give me a final piece of last minute wisdom so Virginia, you're up first. What is your final piece of wisdom I was up to first give? Last time. Well, you were on my screen, so you're the first <laughs> this time too. Okay, okay. A piece of advice. Tell me, uh, what's the parameters? No parameters. Just you have a person in front of you with a mind full of mush that you're getting to help shape. What are you going to? The first thing you pour into that mind full of mush. Are they an employee or an HR professional? 
There is no rule. Just give me oh, okay. the <laughs> See, we're policy people. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> what is my first? Oh, man. I wish I had remembered that this was a thing for you because, like, I'm drawing a blank. Let me give me an opportunity. My first thing would um, maybe don't take yourself so seriously. Ooh, don't take yourself so seriously because the things that you're saying in yourself and the 99% of the things that you're imagining are going to go wrong are probably not going to go wrong. So go ahead and just stop taking yourself so seriously. I like that. I like that a lot. Nanette. Wow. That's hard to follow that one up. Okay. So, <laughs> and I'm a rule follower too. So let's see. Um, <laughs> for me, I would say, um, remember that everything comes down to relationships and everybody has a different way of viewing things. So when I know that I used to get really uptight and upset when, when things didn't go the way I thought they should go, because I had these preset, I would say rules in my head of what was right and what was wrong and what things should be. So I would just say when you're, especially when you're trying to create relationships with employees or HR professionals or your leaders, just um, try to be open-minded to other perspectives and see where they're coming from. Because anytime you see where somebody else is coming from, it always helps you um, helps you create a more lasting bond. It also helps you like reevaluate what your what your rules are in life. I love it. I love them both. Again, Nanette Virginia from the Lively Office. Thank you so much for being here. And I want uh, go ahead. I don't remember. I think it's Nanette. I think you're the one. Go ahead and tell us how we can get a hold of you, how we can find you, and what you have to offer us once we do get a hold of you. <laughs> yeah, she always throws this to me. You were right. Uh, you can find us on most social media platforms at The Lively Office. We also have our website at thelivelyoffice.com. And right now we're doing a free webinar for knowledge, skills, and abilities. So if you have KSAs that you're trying to make for your resume, we have a free um, KSA webinar and you can find that at thelivelyoffice.com backslash KSA. Outstanding. Thank you so much, ladies. I love having you on and we're definitely gonna do it again in a few months. If you wanna come back, We'll be uh, here. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Renowned Leadership Podcast. We'll see you next week. And remember, lead like a champion. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. We hope you gained some really valuable insights from our conversations with top industry leaders and experts. And don't forget to head over to renownedleadership.com to download our free checklist that is specifically designed to help military veterans uh, transition from the military to their new corporate jobs. You can find it at renownedleadership.com. We're also so excited to announce our partnership with the Career Winner Circle, a top executive coaching company with incredible resources for their clients and top-notch coaches. You can learn more about them at careerwinnerscircle.com. And if you're interested in taking your leadership skills to the next level, don't forget to schedule your complimentary coaching consultation with me 
at renownedleadership.com. Again, everybody, I just want to say thank you. I know I say it all the time, but I truly mean it. I greatly, uh, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate uh, you guys listening, giving us your likes and your love and your feedback. Truly a blessing, and I really appreciate it. Make sure you share some of that love with Nanette and Virginia. Their links are in the bio. Their socials are in the bio. So make sure you go check them out and give them tons and tons of love. Make sure you hop over to Renowned Leadership afterwards and uh, check me out. Or go to the careerwinnerscircle.com and you can check me out there as well. I hope you guys found this uh, discussion with uh, uh, Nanette and Virginia about HR insightful. Uh, helpful, and I hope it uh, will will help you further your careers and your relationships within your workplace. All right, everybody, that wraps it up this week. Thank you so much again for listening, and don't forget, lead like a champion.